Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. This is Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is going on, all of our Liberty-loving friends? Welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty podcast. I'm one of the hosts here, Charles Chuck Thompson. With me, as always, the one who knows just about everything there is to know except for the battle between Israel and Palestine, (laughs) Mr. Nathaniel Paul Thurston. How's it going today, man? It's going pretty good, man. We were just having a a nice chat in the pre-show, which we do every day for the people who join the Patreon. Almost 20 minutes long. Yeah, 20 minute long chat about Israel-Palestine, and we still have to come. We said this at the end of the show a couple days ago, but... I uh, realize there are a lot of emotions and thoughts on this. Um, I don't know enough about this conflict to officially have a standpoint other than I don't like death. Yeah. I'm against death. And so what I would like to land on is the least amount of death possible. Right. And that's my official opinion on the matter. And I would I want someone to point to me why we should be involved. Yeah. You know? I definitely don't like, think we should be involved. At all. In the Middle East, all kinds of places. So it, somebody has to prove to me while why we have actual american interests in in supporting one side or the other yeah it shouldn't matter so that was a good discussion i i'm going to keep digging into it because i also am uh ignorant Uh, i will admit that when i don't know something i don't know exactly what's going on between israel and palestine i know that it's been happening for thousands of years and it's going to take a lot to get to the bottom of things and so we're we're not going to offer any type of opinion except for liberty. Yeah, I have to stick to you. I want to, people to be free, not die, and have a chance at life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning, because that's what we talk about on this show. Yep. So whatever gets us there, that's to me, that's the best. So I agree. All right, y'all. Uh, as I mentioned, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning on this show, um, and not um, mainly to uh, all of our listeners and new people. If you're new here, Hit that subscribe button. We run a 94% subscription rate, so don't hit, be one of those 6%, man. Hey, our numbers are up 32% over last, last month, month right now, That's, so we keep growing. We're beating the S&P <laughs> by <laughs> we, a lot. All right. We're beating the S&P and the NASDAQ <laughs> combined, man. That's right. All right, go ahead. I got a Supreme Court article queued up here for Charlie. Charlie loves this legal jargon, mm. but we've talked about this Supreme Court case uh twice now on the show and they've officially issued an opinion on the matter and not just an opinion but from the blaze.com thanks uh glenn supreme court unanimously sides against the biden administration further protects fourth amendment rights this is a huge win by the way uh, especially since it was nine to zero. Yeah, that was very decisive win. United States Supreme Court unanimously ruled Monday that a so-called exception to the Fourth Amendment called community caretaking does not permit police officers to enter and search your home without first obtaining a search warrant, even if doing so may be in the public's interest. 
What did the high court say? And so, do you remember the details of this case? I was going to say that, so this case, they were actually, they're still trying to figure out whether or not the police are in trouble for doing this because they did this in a case. They went in and they seized someone's gun right? uh, in a case. And so so this this, this guy and his wife got into an argument and he pulled out an unloaded gun and set it on the table, according to the, to the story. And then he left and his wife called the cops and his wife was like, essentially, I don't know if she gave him permission or what. Uh, maybe it was a girlfriend. Was a girlfriend or wife? Wife, I believe. But he owned the house, right? Because she didn't give him permission. They just came in and they, they searched the house and confiscated his guns. Mm-hmm. So he filed a lawsuit saying this is, this is unreasonable search and seizure. You didn't, have a, you didn't have a warrant to take my guns. In a 9-0, 9-0. Woo. Nueve cero. Right? Yeah. Sure. Nine to zero ruling. The Supreme Court ruled the community caretaking exception does not apply to private residences. Big win. Quote, what is reasonable for vehicles is different from what is reasonable from homes. Uh, Katie acknowledged as much as this court has repeatedly declined to expand the scope of exceptions to the warrant requirement to permit warrantless entry into the home. Justice Clarice Thomas wrote in the majority opinion. Now, I think they get it wrong on vehicles, too. But anyway, in fact, Thomas specifically rebuked the first uh, circuit court of appeals for extending the exception. Quote, but this recognition that police officers perform many civic tasks in modern society was just that a recognition that these tasks exist and not an open ended license to perform them anywhere. Thomas added anything else that the court said. In rejecting the extension of the community caretaking exception to the Fourth Amendment, the Supreme Court rejected an argument from the Biden administration, which had urged the court to uphold as legal the violation of uh, the the guy's constitutional rights. Is it Caniglia's? The the, the uh, uh, have, guy who brought I the lawsuit. I have seen it in here. It just sounded out, you know, with the Con- letters. Caniglia. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> An amicus brief filed by the Justice Department lawyers said the touchstone of the Fourth Amendment is reasonableness. What? This is their argument. What? The touchstone, by the way, of the Fourth Amendment is reasonableness. For criminal investigation, this court has generally incorporated the warrant clause into the Fourth Amendment's overreaching reasonableness requirement, but has not generally done so for searches or seizures objectively premised on justifications other than the investigation of wrongdoing. Now the Fourth Amendment is predicated on reasonableness, but you, but you have to affirm that reasonableness by a search warrant. That's what the Fourth Amendment calls. It, it for. has to be reasonable, a reasonable reason to obtain a search warrant. Right. Yeah. And the search warrant has to be obtained. And by the way, guys, last time I checked, it's not hard to get a search warrant. I want to see the stats on this, but how many search warrants are actually denied? Probably few, especially few not and a, far between. Yeah, I know we're not talking about FISA here, but what they say, like it's like ninety nine percent end up getting approved. That's obviously a different case, but I'm sure it's a, a wide majority get approved. The ultimate question in this case is therefore not whether the respondent officer's actions fit within some narrow warrant exception, but instead whether those actions were reasonable. And under all of the circumstances here, they were. The brief further argued that warrant should not be presumptively required when a government official's action is objectively grounded in a non-investigatory public interest, such as health or safety. But they'll use that 
every single time. That's the, they're making the argument that what the cops did was reasonable, even though it was specifically violating the law when they did it. Because of health and safety. Because of safety. Yeah. 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 Which they can <laughs> use every single time. The Justice Department, in fact, was so keen on the Supreme Court not ruling in Cloniglia's favor that they urged the court to uphold the officer's actions by concluding that the officers are entitled to qualified immunity if they rejected the Fourth Amendment argument. Huh. And the court said, up yours. Yep. So that even I after, know. Even after that, they're arguing that qualified immunity should protect you. But how do you have qualified immunity on something that's blatantly breaking the Constitution? Yeah. What? Where's the qualified immunity on that? Well, they're just officers, Nate. Yeah. That's why. That's why. Woo. Okay. So this is the this is the problem with allowing. Again, it's the whole give a mouse a, a slice of bologna, mm-hmm. bologna, man. Especially fried. Yeah. They love those. <sighs> they fried come up. back for more, man. Mm-hmm. So if you give them a little piece of that fried bologna, man, uh, they'll eat the whole package. Speaking of animals eating your stuff, I went outside the other day and, and I put this bird feeder in my backyard the other day. Real nice bird feeder. The birds loved it. Did you guys decide to get a bird feeder? Got a bird feeder. Okay. And Stephanie the birds, was talking about that the other day. Birds are out there. We got it. Honestly, it's for the cat. So the cat can sit in the window and watch the birds and make noises and pat at the window yeah. like she's going to actually get the birds. It's really funny and probably cruel. I'm not really sure. Mm. But anyway, we went out there and the thing was destroyed by likely a family of raccoons that have been terrorizing our house lately. Mm-hmm. We see them around the front, around the back of the house all the time, and them darn raccoons have gone out there. If you watch Parks and Rec, you know that they're also they're called Nature's Bandits. That's, uh, that's who they are. <laughs> and they went out there and they destroyed my Galdern bird feeder, man. Okay, sorry. I didn't, go ahead. That's upsetting. It, it is very upsetting. I... <laughs> I almost I need I need a moment of silence. Yep, yeah. For your bird feeder. <laughs> Trash panda. <laughs> <laughs> I got to remember that my wife's going to love that. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny cuz Stephanie ran we were at Home Depot the other day and randomly was like, "Do you want to get a bird feeder?" Yeah. I was like, "Are you a bird watcher?" <laughs> She's like, "Well, I might become one." So, that's funny. Uh so anyway, 90, which means it wasn't left or right or anything else. It wasn't just Old Brett Kavanaugh and ACB and, you know, all the Trump's picks going, fighting against the, the majority of the Supreme Court. No, no, no. I know your rights are upheld. And that's a good thing. Now, again, I don't think we should rely on the Supreme Court, but at least the Supreme Court uh, totally embarrassed the Biden administration yeah. by saying, uh, oh, this is clearly wrong. I mean, how and, bad does it have to be for all of the justices to say that you're wrong on this? Not only that, but all they, of they embarrassed the lower court, too. <laughs> yeah. The Circuit Court of Appeals. And they were like, what? All right. To some economics from Bernie Sanders here. Okay. Talking about some minimum wage. I got some numbers and some stats for you all. You know, I searched this earlier. I, talk, I searched in McDonald's. Can McDonald's afford... $15 an hour. And you know who is on the first page of the Google search results? Bernie Sanders? GoodMorningLiberty.us. No. Yeah. I went through there and I was like, this article is entitled exactly what I want to read about. <laughs> and it was one that uh, we put out there a while nice. back. So, so that was good. Um, anyway, Bernie Sanders says, you better believe McDonald's can afford to pay all of its workers at least $15 an hour. I'm live now with workers who are striking today for dignity on the job. All right. Thank Thanks, Bernie. So I went ahead and pulled up some numbers because I've written about this before. There is a really big confusion when it comes to especially McDonald's, especially McDonald's. Do you, do you guys know that McDonald's corporate doesn't actually own and operate 
almost any of the McDonald's restaurants that are out there. Yeah, most of them they don't. 92% of the restaurants are franchised restaurants. Okay, so you pay a $50,000 fee to open up the franchise, and then you owe, essentially, after all the totals, about 15% a month of your sales to McDonald's corporate. So when people look at the numbers on this, they'll go look at McDonald's corporate's profits. Mm -hmm. And we have to realize is McDonald's corporate's profits are what they make off of scraping off the net sales of all the restaurants that are out there. But they don't actually have all the employees. The franchises have all the employees. So I went into all the numbers on what people actually make. The franchises themselves, they take in about $2.7 million a year. $2.7 million. That's, that's a pretty good amount of money for one restaurant. On average. On average, about $2.7 million. It, actually, if you don't make more than a million in gross sales, then they close you down. Is that true? I didn't see that yeah, anywhere. It is true. Wow. wow. I used to work for McDonald's, folks. I so was you know. A, yeah. I was a, a manager. So... On speak, average, speak to the manager, Charlie. Speak to the manager, <laughs> Charlie. Talked to a lot of Karens over his time. I did, and I just always gave them what they wanted. On average, out of that two point seven million, they spend about seven hundred thousand dollars on wages, and that includes the managers and all of the cashiers and everyone. They spend about seven hundred thousand dollars on wages. At the end of the day, after they pay their fifteen percent to McDonald's corporate. Uh, the on average, the franchises end up making about $150,000 a year. Net profit. And so remember when you're talking about evil McDonald's, they're actually owned by probably local people in your in your community that have actually opened up this McDonald's. But most of them open up several locations. Yeah, yeah, of course. They're they're doing well. I'm not saying that they're that they're barely scraping to get yeah. by or anything, but $150,000 in actual net profits after paying out all the different monies that they have to pay out out of that 2.7 million dollars. And what's interesting is since we know the labor expenses are about $700,000 per place, well, if you raise the average wage from $10, which is what it is now, up to 15 that actually is about a roughly, let me do the math here, and that's a pretty big increase. Whether that's a 50% increase in your labor expenses right there, mm -hmm. right? So what's a 50% increase on 700000 It's $350,000. What was their net profit at the end of the year? $150,000. $150, so they're talking about how McDonald's can obviously afford a $350,000 increase in their labor expenses for each restaurant that's only making $150,000 at the end of the year. So no, they can't obviously afford $15 an hour. You know what actually ends up happening? This is interesting here. Uh, previous research has suggested that businesses are more likely to turn to automation to replace low-skilled workers in response to minimum wage increases. While more than 75% of McDonald's restaurants use touchscreen ordering kiosks in 2019, uh, that's up from 20% in 2017. 20% 20 in 2017 were using the self-service kiosk. Now it's 75% of the McDonald's restaurants are using self-service kiosks, Okay. That's what's actually going to happen. So I'm not saying that if they raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour that McDonald's can't figure it out. But what people always have to realize is they won't figure it out with the current amount of employees getting the current amount of hours that they have. It's mathematically not possible. Uh, they're a smart corporation. They'll figure it out somehow. 
But it's not going to equal the same amount of people having jobs or getting the same amount of hours. It's going to equal a lot less employees at less hours, like we have seen at a lot of other places that have done this. And worse service. And worse service. Because what happens is it doesn't matter how many people you have on staff or, or anything like that. So when I was a manager for a franchise, it was a franchise location, uh, we uh, had to monitor the labor every hour. Every hour we print off a report and we had to keep our labor under 20%. 20% or under. And if we ran above 20%, we better had a really good excuse for it. Yeah. And they hammered on that. So 20% of sales every hour, that's what labor had to be accounting accounted for. And so they'll keep that same number. They're going to keep that same number. It doesn't matter what you, what you raise, uh, ways, uh, raise the wage to. They're going to keep that same number. So that means if you have to let somebody go early, then you're going to have to. I let people go early all the time Yeah, because I, I ran some good numbers, man. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I wasn't number one, unfortunately, but I was young. Okay, Were you the tallest I manager? Was. I was in the store. That's okay. for sure. Good. I was uh, number two and number three in my store is when I went back and forth for the months I, on numbers. Does drive-through times and labor. That's the two things that we kept track of most. And you know, I worked at McDonald's back in the time where people actually cared about jobs. I can't stand to go through the drive-through these days. I mean, it's just god awful. Mm-hmm. Anywhere you go, McDonald's, Arby's, whatever. When I was working, it, I don't know. I mean, my grandpa told me something when I was a kid. Is like, I don't care what you do. You could wash dishes or whatever. Just whatever you do. Be the best at it, like be the best that you can at it. So whether that was washing dishes or working at McDonald's or whatever, I took that to heart and I was like, okay, I want to be the, I want to be the best that I can be at this. So, um, Charlie, do you remember when you were told on TikTok that there's no, there's no proof that the higher taxes actually cause people to move really whatsoever? People don't, people don't move. Oh yeah, because that's of right. That. This doesn't happen. There's, it never happens yeah. at all. Well, New York Post ha- has something different to say about that mm. for you right here. Is this it right here? This is the sixth borough. Okay, right, y'all. The sixth borough. Florida State records uh, records quantify. Oh, sorry. Florida State records quantify defections from New York. No. No way. Florida might as well be known as the sixth borough. New data from the Sunshine State's Department of Highway Safety and Motor Vehicles offers the latest glimpse of just how many New Yorkers fled south during the COVID-19 pandemic. At least almost 34,000 New Yorkers exchanged their New York driver's license for Florida credentials between September 2020 and March 2021. Uh, That's a 32% increase from the same period of the prior year, which is a year-over-year growth, 32%. When 25,000 New Yorkers uh, traded in their driver's license for Florida once. Florida officials said a major cause of migrations was parents looking to get their kids back in full-time in-person school. They're like, hey, wow. I, w- I want my kid to go to school. Yeah. <laughs> in total for the 2019 uh, to April 2021 period, 104,000 New Yorkers made the switch. Far and away leading every other state. Runner-up New Jersey came in second with 54,000 trailing Garden State were Georgia with 48,000, Illinois 46,000, and California almost 44,000. Florida has experienced a COVID-19 driven population boom, which the state's Office of Economic and Demographic Research expects to continue in the near term. 
supported by an apparent shift in lifestyle preferences away from the more dense urban areas found elsewhere, according to a March report. Not only COVID-19, but other restrictions, mm-hmm. taxes, and all kinds of things. Now, There's a mass exodus. You saw the, the three major ones on the list, which is New York, Illinois, and California. Georgia made it up there too, but interesting. Yeah, what my main thing to ask for people moving from New York to Florida is don't screw it up. You know, I would ask the same question for our buddies down in Texas. Don't screw it up. People realize, coming to Nashville. Yeah, realize why you're leaving. Okay, and maybe it wasn't because of taxes, but it was because of a tyrannical government. All right, that's why you're leaving. Whether it was because you wanted your kids to go to school, all the businesses were closed, you didn't have a job anymore, you left because your government was too tyrannical. And don't go to these states and screw them up. Please don't. All right. And I'm worried that that's what's actually going to end up happening, that these are actually going to even out each other to where enough people are going to leave these states and turn enough states over to the blue team not that that not that blue and red really matter that much, but you have seen more freedoms for people in the red states when it came to the COVID lockdowns, for sure. Yeah, especially Florida, Texas, yeah, Tennessee, those okay. types of places. I really like this story, and this is a good thing. Well, it's got some bad stuff in it too, but this was a good thing uh, to to close out the show with. It's going to be the longest one, but. A good thing to close out the show with. I don't know if you. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but a UFC fighter dedicated his victory to victims of communism. So no, he was I didn't doing see a, this. He was doing the interview with Joe Rogan after the fight and dedicated it to the victims of Marxist ideologies. Huh. I thought this was amazing. So I'm going to play the video of him standing here with Joe Rogan. He also calls out Elon Musk. It was hilarious uh, in the video. So all right, let me play this. I don't know if the audio is going to be right, but we'll see. Happy. First things first, I want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's number one. Hey, calm down. Calm down. Number two, I want to dedicate this fight to all the people who've been hurt by Marxist ideologies. There are millions of you, and I know it. And uh, it's just a fight. I know it's not much, but I want you to know that I love you, and I understand the pain. I don't completely understand, but I love you, and I, I understand your pain. And finally, I want to call somebody out. Joe, I want to call out your buddy, Elon, Elon Musk. Where's my wife's car, bro? I've been waiting six months. I've had the baby. I need a good car. I need, I got to protect my daughter. Let's go, Elon. Get me my car. <laughs> that reminds me, that reminds me of, um, oh, what's his name? The, 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 the Italian, not, uh, yeah, the Italian or uh, Irishman. Gosh, dang it. Not Italian. The Irishman. What's his name? I have no it's idea. Connor McGregor. Yeah. Where he won, he won the championship, and he's like, the first thing he says is, "Where's my other belt?" Because <laughs> he had two championships. Get my other green belt. All right, it was, so it was hilarious. There's the video. I mean, that's really cool to hear someone call that out when yeah. they're when they're accepting a win. But after dominating former, this is from Fee.org, by the way, written by John Miltimore, I believe. After dominating former lightweight champion Tony Ferguson over three rounds at the UFC 262 on on Saturday night, Benil. Darius had a message for millions of watching fans. Speaking to podcaster Joe Rogan after the fight, the Iranian-born American mixed martial artist dedicated his victory to the victims of communism around the world. Quote, uh, you guys heard what he said. So then they go into, why would he do this? You know, because I doubt he's had a whole bunch of great feedback online from doing this, but 
Maybe it has. Maybe it's been mostly good feedback. You know, there's a bunch of crazies out there, but mm-hmm. they go into some of this. A bloody history. Though many, not, though many may not know it, the 20th century was the most violent century in history, primarily because of communism. The precise death toll is unclear, in part because it's so vast. The, be- the best data we have comes from the late Rudolf Rummel, a, a political scientist at Yale University, Indiana University, and the University of Hawaii, who pioneered the field of democide, death by government. I didn't know that there was a word for death by government. Nice. Huh. How about that? He estimated the human toll of the 20th century socialism to be roughly 200 million worldwide. I was waiting for you to say worldwide. Sorry. Oh, worldwide. About two-thirds of that total came from the two largest communist empires, the Soviet Union, 61 million, killed under Stalin and Lenin, and China, 78 million, killed under Mao. I couldn't concentrate because I was throwing up in my mouth. Yeah, it's, it's pretty gross. It's pretty in, disgusting. In his book, Mao's Great Famine, his, historian Frank D. Word, that I can't pronounce, we'll just call him Decoder, explained how Mao became, became the greatest mass murder in history. Mao thought that he would catapult his country past its competitors by hurtling villagers across the country in the giant people's communes in pursuit of a utopian paradise. Everything was collectivized. People had their work, homes, land, belongings, and livelihoods taken from them. In collective canteens, food distributed by the spoonful, according to Merritt, became a weapon used to force people to follow the party's every dictate. That was a quote from the book. Productivity plummeted after Mao destroyed the incentives to work. So Chairman Mao found new ways to motivate workers, coercion, and violence. Quote, What comes out of this massive and detailed dossier is a tale of horror in which Mao emerges as one of the greatest mass murderers in history, responsible for the deaths of at least 45 million people. This person writes, has said 78 million earlier from from someone else. Among the deaths, this was a terrible story that was actually in Rand Paul's book that you guys uh, should read, The Case Against Socialism. It was actually a a really good book. Among the deaths was a boy in Hunan, Hunan Village accused of stealing grain. A local communist boss ordered the father of the child to bury his son alive. You've talked about this before. The father died of grief a few days later. Many people are simply clueless of communism's crimes. For example, according to a 2018 Victims of Communism survey, roughly half of millennials have never heard of Mao, the biggest mass murder in history. Roughly half of millennials. About one third of millennials think George W. Bush killed more people than Joseph Stalin. Jeez. 30-something percent of millennials think Bush killed more people than Stalin. Listen, Bush killed a lot of people, okay? A lot of people in Iraq died. A lot of people in a lot of countries died because of what Bush did, but it's nowhere close to Stalin. Mm -hmm. That's not making an excuse for Bush, but get your facts right, ma'am. 25% of millennials view Vladimir Lenin favorably. And uh, let's see, how, how Americans allowed this to happen is a story for another day. What matters is that we've deprived countless Americans of an important historical reality. Communism kills. There you go. Good article there from Fee. Really yeah. good stuff. So it's, it's pretty crazy, those numbers for millennials. And listen, we make it in the millennial category, okay? I've, I probably hadn't heard of Mao uh, until I was maybe... 20 years old or something like that i didn't I, I went to college for four and a half years okay i didn't learn anything about it there didn't learn about it in high school even though we went to a pretty good high school i feel like and where are you supposed to find out about this stuff right youtube i guess 
That's that's about you it. You learned about Hitler. Yeah, you learned sure. plenty about Hitler. Yeah. Plenty. But you never learned isn't it we isn't that weird that you learn about Hitler, someone who killed a lot of people based on racist ideology, ethnicity. really ethnicity. Ethnicity. And you don't hear anything about all the other millions of people who died because they wanted to collectivize everything. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Stalin. Lenin. Lenin all too. The people with Lenin shirts. You know, if it wasn't for Lenin's murderous history, he would have been a great guy. Yeah. Just that one blemish on his record. Oh, man. You know? If you if you don't talk about the kulaks, you know, everything's yeah. fine. Then it's just perfect. Listen, guys, it's a good lesson there. Communism kills. What else did you pick up from that, Charles? Well, I think uh, I think it's important for people of prominence to start talking about it. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know uh, this guy's history. Um, I don't know if he or anybody in his family suffered. Um anything but i think it's it's so important to educate i mean that's one thing that we that we need to make sure that we do because we're not learning this anywhere else is that we that young people understand our history that's the most important thing that that people can learn because it's the only way to to have any insight into the future whatsoever if you want to call it the future any insight into what certain types of things can lead to is based on past performance. I mean, we, we study past performance on all kinds of things, um, sports and, uh, what you name it, whatever, that's definitely stonks past performance. <laughs> we look at price action, whatever. So you have to do the same type of thing to the same policies that are implemented, uh, elsewhere in the world. And every single time it's been tried every single time, it doesn't matter where it was. Russia, North Korea, Cambodia, uh, Venezuela, China, China, all of it. And, and you know, the, the people being killed, the excuse is, well, that's just that's just the cost of collectivism. Well, and it's also a, well, because those were bad people, you know, exactly. Communism didn't work because Stalin and Mao were really bad guys. But it's a great idea, mm-hmm. you know, in theory. It's an amazing idea. It's just that you had really bad people in charge of the communist regimes. Yeah. You know, they, they wanted all the power for themselves. And I think Peterson makes a good point on this is like, even if, you know, we have the greatest person in the world who's, uh, who's able to usher in the utopia, there will be a Stalin waiting in the, in the background to take you out as soon as he gets his chance. Because, because see, that's the problem is you're, you set up a system that is just a breeding ground for tyrants because it, you're completely by collectivizing, you're completely controlling the individual and that's the that's the greatest adversary for collectivism is the individual so when you take away individual rights and you give this platform for tyrannical power well who's going to fill it up tyrants eventually bad people and yes that's, that's been the argument we've always made about about all you know we talk a lot about bernie sanders and my number one thing I can say to Bernie supporters are, okay, let's say Bernie's a really good guy, all right? I'm not saying Bernie's a communist that's going to kill millions of people. I'm not saying that. But you're not talking about giving Bernie that power. You're talking about giving a government that power because Bernie's old, okay? Yeah. He's not going to be there for a long time. And if you can't tell me who the next person that's going to be in control is, then we can't do it. Because like you said, even if it is a really good person who's in control of this, you never know who the next person's going to be. Or the person after them. And so you could be setting up your children or your grandchildren for something really terrible that could end up happening. If you don't know who's going to hold that power, 
sometime in the future, then you can't allow the power to exist. If it's a power that can literally murder millions of people. Joe said, I would trust Jesus to run a socialist country, but there's always a Judas. And I would add on to that to say, uh, people had Jesus and the, and the crowd, the people crucified him. Yeah. That's what, that's the point he's making. Right. Like, (laughs) so even if you have the, a perfect person to run society for you, the, the society will kill it off. It's, it, it, it's it's an impossible notion to expect collectivism on a large scale. It just won't work. It relies on always having virtuous and benevolent leaders yeah. forever. Forever. You have to make that guarantee forever. Mm-hmm. Or someone's going to come in and screw it up. I mean, man, can you imagine the guy having to bury his son alive because he took some grain? Because he was most likely starving to death, more than likely. He probably picked up some grain off the ground. Because if they went through the fields after everything was harvested and they found grain on the ground afterwards, they had to turn it over to the to the collectivist farms. They had to turn it over to the state. And so it, they would be killed for keeping the grains that they went through and picked up later. If you did find grains that were on the ground, you had to turn them in. And I guarantee you that's what happened right here, is the guy was probably starving and he found some stuff on the ground that was left over after harvest and his dad had to bury him alive. That's freaking disgusting disgusting <laughs> that's a good one that's, that's a good, good one mama t all right charlie close us out well y'all if you enjoyed today's show which i know that you did then you should share it with a friend share it with a villain share it with a communist share it with a capitalist share it all around the world to the little children if anybody needs to hear this message it's then darn millennials and gen Zers, man those are the people that need to hear this so Y'all share the show. Leave us that rating and review on Apple Podcast. uh, Five stars if you think it's worth it, because it is. And then uh, we'll be back again tomorrow to do this all over again. Tomorrow is just Thursday. I was thinking Dumb Bleep, but no, just Thursday. Dumb Bleep's on Friday. So if you guys do all that, we'll be back again tomorrow. Hope you have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.